This is the Healthcare Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. No industry, including sick care, can be fixed from inside. For every one hour that they spend on patient care, they're spending up to two hours on EHR data entry. Welcome to MarketScale Healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Heath. Now, we all know that personal health care in the United States is a massive expense for a large percentage of the population because health care is not cheap. But it can be more efficient, it can be more cost effective, and there is a way to get past the, the comment can't afford it, can't live without it. As a matter of fact, you know where I heard that phrase? From my guest on the podcast today. He is, of course, the CFO and founding partner for DTA Associates, and that's Kevin Campbell. Kevin, how are you today? I'm great. Happy to be talking to you today. I'm excited you had time. I know how busy you are, so thanks for taking a, a few minutes for me today. Yeah, no problem. Can you go ahead and break down the mystique of, because this phrase is such a key statement, can't afford it, can't live without it. Tell me what you mean when you say that. Yeah, so um, it's, healthcare, as everybody knows, uh, is very expensive, and it's getting more and more expensive. Uh, you know, watch the political debates read a couple pages into the newspaper, uh, chances are you're going to hear a discussion about healthcare uh, pretty quickly. And, you know, whether it's pharmaceuticals, whether it's the cost of uh, staff and physicians, or it's, uh, you know, the cost of treatments, you know, end of life care is a, is a huge, huge expense. There's, there's no one problem that we can point to uh, that that is causing all of this, but um, it's one of those things where we know how expensive it is, and yet it's it's something that we all need. And when when we're faced with a, a medical decision, uh, and with a family member or with ourselves, uh, you know, it changes the conversation, and and cost becomes uh, less of a of a decider, and and that's why I think the the marketplace finds itself where it's in today. And that's why so many um, rural hospitals are are closing around the, the brink of closure. And that's really, really something that we're focusing on at, at DTA is this is, uh, I don't know if it's fair to call it an epidemic, but it certainly seems that way that, that we're losing those, uh, that, that community hospital, that safety net. Um, and, and we're looking for uh, solutions to that problem. I think that's an accurate way to describe it. And here's the thing that a lot of people don't think about because a lot of times we can't see other people's problems because ours are right in front of our eyes. But these small hospitals, an MRI machine costs what an MRI machine costs. Right. It just does. And uh, an x-ray technician it costs what they cost. Mm -hmm. And uh, medicine costs what it costs. Those those prices don't change from the care side. Th those those costs exists, and 
we could get into a discussion about does an MRI machine need to cost, I don't know, 300000 I don't even know how much one of those costs. Let's call it $300,000. That's probably a conservative estimate. I'm probably way off. <laughs> Instead of talking, we could get off and talk for days about the cost that um, medical providers have to undertake in order to begin to offer services. But I'm curious, most of the organizations, specifically these rural hospitals that could benefit from uh, more efficient, cost-effective help. They're not getting it. Right. Exactly. Why? Well, it's, it's, there's so many reasons. It's such a complex issue. Um, but certainly the, uh, there's scale issues with these rural hospitals. I think that's uh, pretty clearly what a lot of them are facing. Uh, so, you know, you have a, a, a hospital serving a, a relatively small population, they're not getting the volumes that a, you know, a major metropolitan hospital is getting. And, you know, because of that, they're not uh, able to purchase the more expensive, maybe more ultimately efficient machines or, uh, you know, help uh, from a services perspective uh, because they just, they don't have the scale. So that's, that's a, a big piece right there. Um, so they find themselves in a situation where, uh, you know, reimbursements are declining, their volumes are going down, but costs are going up um, because they're going up in healthcare in general, and because the the small the smaller uh, rural hospital organizations, you know, aren't able to be as efficient. Uh, again, uh, for the reasons we just talked about around scale. So it's really a catch-22 for these organizations. What do they do when they can't um, afford, uh, you know, to get help? <laughs> um, and and the, the the help that we're focused on is in the, the healthcare data perspective. Uh, these organizations, uh, they have very little handle on their own data. They can't get access to it. They're, um, they can't afford to to purchase a really expensive data warehousing solution in healthcare um, that are out there on the market. Um, they can't afford to build an internal team and hire, you know, people with these skills that are already, you know, hard to find. So they can't really get a handle on their data. They can't do analysis. And if they can't do those things, how are they then going to be able to look at their performance and then if they can't do that, how are they supposed to become more efficient and find you know the service lines that that are not as profitable that they need to think about doing something differently or you know the uh, the opportunities for you know staffing that could be adjusted in order to um in order to be able to be more efficient and these are all things that the the much larger hospital systems have these they've been able to build these these capabilities so they're bigger they're more efficient they're able to eke out a profit they're still not you know generally making money hand over foot because this is healthcare, but the, the rural healthcare organizations are really, really caught in a, in a catch 22, which is really unfortunate. In a situation like that, in a rural hospital, your sysadmin or your IT, uh, head of IT might be working two or three other jobs. Oh yeah. That it might not even be their primary job. It, there's a, it seems like a very difficult balancing act between price and performance for these systems for these rural hospitals that are so critical. How do you approach that? Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. The uh, everyone at a rural hospital, and we've worked with with several. Every time we go in somewhere and we're working with somebody, they're wearing multiple hats. They're not 
they're not just um, you know in charge of safety they're also in charge of quality and patient experience and real patient relations and complaints you know there's they they deal with so many different things and that happens in in IT as well they tend to have more generalized roles like you mentioned like a sysadmin and they're trying to um, you know, keep their their main systems, their electronic medical record systems, up and running and, and functioning properly, which is the most important piece because that's at the you know that's right at patient care. Um, and then on the side, they're trying to um, you know deliver the reports and the analysis that people are are clamoring for. But it's 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 really tough because they weren't necessarily trained um, in that. They're more of a generalist. So it takes them longer to to develop some of those things. They may not know the tools to use. They may not be as efficient with those things um, as somebody who's worked in data and analytics, you know, for their whole career. So it's a it, it's a it's a big challenge. These smaller communities really rely on these rural medical facilities. They, you know, humans get hurt. It's just a fact of life, and. Their dependence on their local hospital is exponentially more, I don't want to say grave, but it's really critical. And these, there are several long-term detrimental effects that this imbalance can cause, not just for the hospital, but for the surrounding community. How can the attitude or the, or the, the spirit or culture of a community change when their hospital is struggling or maybe even closing? Yeah. Yeah, I was reading some articles recently about, um, you know, just from this year about uh, rural hospitals that have closed. Uh, one was in Fort Scott, Kansas, Mercy Hospital. Um, another was in Ducktown, Tennessee, Copper Basin Medical Center um, was the name of that uh, that hospital. And you read in these articles the reactions of the community. They're, they're scared in many ways. Um, you know, what happens if I have another heart attack is you know, the the nearest help is, you know, 60 to 90 miles away. What am I going to do? You know, my daughter has a, has an, uh, an epileptic condition. And what do I do if in the middle of the night something happens? Um, and, and beyond that, beyond those things, there are even just the things about these hospitals are a source of pride for these communities. I saw one example of uh, of a community that had raised a million dollars just themselves through bake sales and through you know so many other things to try to keep their hospital open because it was such a part of of the community. Um, you think about the community health aspect of it's not just providing those acute medical services. It's also Hey, this is our hospital. They're coming into our schools and they're trying to help us, you know, our kids eat more, you know, nutritious lunches and um, they're having outreach clinics and they're, you know, it's, it's embedded in that community um, and it really serves a greater population um, health initiative. Um, aside from, you know, you might say some of these things, are they just sentimental? You know, people like to say, I have our hospital. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's obviously difficult when big businesses move out of towns um, and, and that's these hospitals tend to be, you know, the biggest employer or one of the biggest employers in these towns. So that's always a challenge. Is it, you know, is it just 
for sentimental reasons and what have you, but it's it's so much more than that, I think, from from really a community and a public health perspective. And it's it is people use words like like devastating, like scared, you know, when these things happen. So it is it, it does shake up a community when when their hospital you know, has to shut down. One of the biggest cost drains, I think, or inefficiencies for these rural hospitals is you mentioned their data and being able to manage the data they have, whether it's patient information, testing results, whatever. And talk to me a little bit about this new move towards allowing and helping these smaller hospitals outsource their data management at a price point that they can use that really it strengthens their long-term prospects for sure. Yeah, it you know, it's not a silver bullet and and by itself having data doesn't rescue these organizations from you know, from bankruptcy. I wish I wish that was the case, but but it, we have to be realistic. That's not the case. But data is an enabler of all the things that do allow um, these organizations to flourish and to be able to continue on. So, you know, there was an example I read about, um, I think it's Lake in Kansas, a place called Kearney County Hospital. Uh, while everyone else is shutting down their maternity wards, this, uh, this group is investing in theirs because they are able to look down the road and see, okay, we maybe don't make any money on delivering a baby, but doing that connects the that family to this place in a in a special way, and they're gonna you know maybe be more likely to have their pediatric services here and to have their you know OB services and to have a procedure. So they've actually found that you know making decisions like that have allowed them to to um, to eke out a a very small but but uh, in the black operating margin, which which is something that many organizations can't be said. So, you know, those decisions come from being able to look at market data, being able to look at cost data, being able to look at, you know, the different reimbursements we're getting from, you know, our commercial payers versus, um, you know, uh, Medicare, Medicaid. And trying to find out how do we can we partner in a way you know with one of our commercial payers that that makes sense in this area um, that allows us to um, to flourish. So, you know, the data, as I mentioned before, if you don't know how you're performing because you can't get the data together, you know, how are these uh, executives, administrators, you know, how are they supposed to make those good decisions? It's all based on gut feel and you know, we all know that gut feel only gets you so far. So what we do, um, you know, we've we have a soft place in our heart for um, for the smaller rural hospitals. Um, and for years, we've been trying to you know think of different ways to be able to help this problem and and help them um, and in our own small ways survive. And so we've been uh, we've been looking into this uh, managed services approach um, where. Essentially, what happens is it's pretty simple. They uh, set the budget that they can afford. They pick a number, and then uh, our team of, of uh, business intelligence developers and data architects and report writers and analysts we work up to the um, the number of hours per month that that budget affords, 
and that's pretty much all there is to it. It's a pretty simple model, but what happens is we make some progress. It's not as fast of pro progress as you would have if you could afford to purchase a, you know, an off-the-shelf off the solution or to, to build a big team and have them develop something um, more quickly and more, um, more efficiently uh, internally but they can't afford that piece of it. So this at least allows them to be making real progress. Month after month, they're seeing progress. So one of our clients uh, where we're uh, employing this model, uh, they were they got a notification from the state that they were, and everyone else in the state, was gonna get uh, start to get uh, dinged for their uh, opioid prescribing practices if, if um, they're not uh, according to the to the standard um, the state was looking at, but they had no idea what their performance was. They 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 didn't know if they were going to lose a ton of money because they were over prescribing opioids or if they were going to be fine. So that was our first project with them was to really help them get their uh, their opioid reporting um, to a place where they could see by physician, you know, here's where we've got issues that we need to work on, and and here's where we're doing okay, and you know, now that we've completed that and helped them understand where they're at, we'll keep moving on to the next, you know, similar initiative. So your patient-centered quality improvement consultants, that's what you do. But you mentioned that you have a soft spot. Oh, yeah. It's, it's almost like you're a team of experts that come in, give the basics so you don't overwhelm the staff. Here's things that you can do and we can help you with this. And here's one thing you don't have to worry about. And you just give them a roadmap. And that roadmap eases their anxiety, which is uh, it propagates throughout the entire facility. You know, if you're if uh, the front office staff or the back office staff isn't stressed, then the nurses aren't stressed, and then the doctors aren't stressed, and then the order and on and on and on, which ultimately leads into a better outcome and better care for the most important part of the puzzle, and that's the patients. Um, that's first off that has to feel really good to know that every day when you wake up you're going to go to work and you get to work in that type of uh, heart-based environment first off secondly it has to really give you some hope when it comes to the horizon or the future for rural medical services you must be able to see a light at the end of the tunnel um it does feel good it's it's something that um you know we've tried different models out with these organizations that we have relationships with to try to find something that that works for them because they really they're they're looking at a situation where from a data perspective it's we have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get something um, or maybe we we purchase a point solution that that only focuses on a, a certain area like you know patient experience or supply uh, chain economics or um, you know, something that's very targeted, uh, you know, like market market analysis. And when they buy that, they just have one thing. They they don't really have a way of integrating that with their other data. So they're looking at really a situation of uh, spend a lot of money or get nothing. And because of budget constraints, most of them are are selecting nothing, um, which is which is really unfortunate. So yeah, this. This model, it, I think, uh, it helps everybody take a breath um, and say, okay, at least we're making some progress now, and we know we can get our stuff on the list, 
and we can prioritize that list and we will be doing we will be making progress against our our, our most important initiatives and really making a difference um, at least in, in that way for our patients and what we hope is that this will allow them then you know as, as we're building these um, um, reports and things for specific initiatives we're also building slowly the underlying infrastructure for their data as a whole so that we can integrate their multiple EMRs and get a you know common uh, medication list and allergy list and things like that all of those things um, over time then will help them take better care of their patients be more efficient and you know I think give them a better shot of, of being able to survive and continue to to serve those those communities that um, that that really rely on on these services. What are a few of the incentives that you would like to see start to come to the forefront in order to help solve some of these problems? Well, I, I guess I would answer that by saying I would first like to see a, a recognition um, that the services that these uh, these organizations provide is essential, um, and it doesn't mean that everything that they're doing is has to keep going the way that it currently is. So, you know, it doesn't make sense for a small rural hospital to have all of the specialties that that a big, uh, you know, metropolitan area hospital has. And I think that that makes sense to folks. But then there there may need to be some difficult choices about what things does that does that hospital continue to provide, what moves to telemedicine, um, what moves to those uh, kind of mobile outreach that some of the bigger organizations do to these these rural areas. So I think a lot of I think there needs to be a lot more focus on how do we how do we make this work and not just have it be up oh, the hospitals closed and everybody's out of a job and you know they all have to find a, a new place to go for their care. That's such a stark binary thing that. That I would like to see, um, you know, those in the decision-making um, offices of of our government and and otherwise really focus on this because, you know, there's so much talk about population health in uh, in this industry, you know, and how do you do that without people near to the people who 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 need that? You know, rural areas tend to be. Uh, poorer, they tend to be older, they tend to have a higher rates of chronic disease. So we really need to have, figure out models that work um, for taking care of those folks. And, and I'd like to see, you know, there, there certainly are programs that are trying to help um, these smaller organizations. There's a, uh, the 340B program for, um, for uh, medications, you know, helps these organizations get medications at a, at a lower cost. There's a critical access designation um, that that allows these organizations to be able to avoid some of the um, the reporting burden that that some of the bigger organizations have. So I think there's there's been progress in those areas, but I'd like to to see it stated that um, keeping these these um, rural hospitals open is essential, and we need to look at trying to um, you know continue to to develop incentives for them to um, to do the right thing, to, to find the right mix of services, to find the right um, services that need to be um, referred out, um, you know, to really be able to continue to, to work towards uh, a, a better uh, 
health of the overall population in this country. Today, the guest on the podcast has been Kevin Campbell, the CFO and founding partner for DTA Associates. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really wish you continued success, and I certainly hope I have an opportunity to talk to you again in the future. Yeah, Sean, love the conversation. Would love to chat again. Appreciate it.